At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Bring it Every rival. Every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL Schedule Release, presented by Verizon, coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the Denver City Cast with Holden Kushner. Presented by Bet Rivers. It is the Denver City Cast presented by Bet Rivers. It is Holden Kushner with Vison. Huge show. Mark Springer, Altitude 92.5, Avs postgame. Going to join me in just a couple of minutes, breaking down game number two of the Western Conference Finals between the Avs and the Oilers. We got best bets on that one. Jonathan Von Tobel from the Mothership, from Vison, giving us best bets for the NBA Finals. I've got some bets on the Broncos and the Rockies. Yeah. Let's get to this, though, and I'm going to talk about the Offensive Player of the Year Award. The The lines are up on Bet Rivers. we got to get into that. But game two lines for the Western Conference Finals, Avs and Oilers. Boy, am I excited about this. Avs leading the best of seven, one nothing. They're minus 125 on the puck line, up from minus 123. Minus 185 on the money line. That was minus 190 yesterday. Oilers plus 155. Total here is 7.5 plus 112 to the over, minus 132 to the under. So we're expecting a whole bunch of goals yet again. Uh, we saw the abs in regular time at minus 121. You think they're going to win tonight and stay out of overtime? Uh, you can get that at minus 118. Some specials before we get to the big news, too. <clears throat> abs to score in all three periods is minus 120. That's a Bet River special. Also, Connor McDavid to score the first goal, boosted up to 10.50. So if you lay a dollar down, you'll get ten dollars and fifty cents back. Uh, some of the numbers as far as the handle and the tickets on the Avs money line: 82% of the money on the Avs money line, 69% of the tickets on the spread, the puck line, 69% on the Avs, 51% of the tickets. So they're kind of split there. And then on the over, 71% of the money, 80% of the tickets on the over. The books, they need this thing to go under tonight, under tonight. Uh, speaking of that total, six of the Avs' 11 games have gone over. That's a 55%, over seven and a half goals, I should say. Eight of the Oilers' 13 playoff games have gone to the over. Seven and a half goals, 62%, Okay. Uh, also, the Avs are averaging more than 40 shots per game in the playoffs. They're the only team scoring more goals than Edmonton. Now the Avs are at 4.64, Edmonton at 4.46 after that 8-6 win. The power play is going bananas at 35.5%. But the big story here, Darcy Kemper is out. With what? We don't know because Jared Bednar doesn't want us to know. Pavel Fransos in net. I can't tell you how many times this season we've talked about it. Two competent goaltenders. If something happened to Kemper, it wouldn't be good, but it wouldn't be a death knell. Well, 
Francois saved 18 of the 21 shots that he faced in the shootout coming in in the middle of the game. He was great in the final minute. I actually don't mind what I saw out of Francois. Little small guy. He's one of the smallest guys out there. Was he maybe six foot? He's also he catches the puck with his right hand. You don't see that too often either. Um, in net on the other side, I think it'll be Smith, Mike Smith, but Miko Koskinen played well, stopped 20 to 21 shots. So he was pretty damn good in that game. Now I told you this yesterday, Mike Smith, the Oilers goalie is 40 in, in five career game ones with the Oilers. He's 0-3, giving up almost seven goals a game with an 82% save percentage. It's awful. But in game twos with the Oilers, He's 2-1 with a 1.3 goals against and a 96% save percentage in a shutout. And he's allowed just four goals on 106 shots. I mean, it's wild. You know, so there's a lot of different things that are pushing me in different directions here, whether it be the over or the under. Um, so again, seven of the 13 Edmonton games in the playoffs have gone over seven. Colorado, six of 11 to the over. And the two teams are averaging 9.1 goals per game in the playoffs. Let's get some official game two plays right now. Mark Springle will be hopping on. Man, game number two, Avs and Oilers. So, Mr. Springer, let's get into this here. No Darcy Kemper tonight. So, Francois is in net, looking to go up two games to love. First of all, how are you feeling? I know you're battling the COVID like everybody in the NBA is. Hopefully, it doesn't happen here in the NHL. And second of all, please react to the Darcy Kemper news. Uh, COVID is going away. You might hear a little stuff in my voice still, but, uh, you know, we got game two abs Oilers tonight and I'm feeling better. So hopefully I can do our post game avalanche show remotely tonight. Uh, so all good on that front. Uh, it's no joke though, man. I was out for three days. Uh, so everybody just, uh, tread cautiously out there. As you mentioned, it does seem to be going around. Um, Darcy Kemper out. That's no surprise really. Uh, he took a shot to the face in game one, uh, and, and, you know, he stays in the game. I didn't really think much of it. Uh, this happens all the time, but then he had to leave after the abs score a couple goals, so that's how you know it wasn't for play. Uh, he was getting removed due to either an equipment issue. That's been something that's plagued Darcy this season for whatever reason. Uh, but turns out it was an upper body injury, thought it was a concussion. Then we had a report... Uh, that maybe it had something to do with the uh, Ryan Johansson poke to his eye, inadvertent, of course, but the mm -hmm. stick to his eye. Uh, and it very well might have something to do with that, uh, a concussion, the eye injury. But nonetheless, uh, whatever it is, one of those two things, combination of the two things, yeah, I'm not surprised that he's not playing when we're talking about a head injury and a possible eye injury as well. Uh, Pavel Francouz steps in, and look, Darcy wasn't that great as – we got towards the end of the St. Louis series, uh, you know, allows a few goals early in that Edmonton game. So, you know, I think that Pavel right now is about the same as what Darcy was. But at the same time, you look at this number, seven and a half, I think is what it's up to now on Bet Rivers. Uh, seven and, you know, like a minus 120, minus 130 on other books. Obviously, you could bet this up or down however you want, but... Hold on, I see no reason why over seven, even over seven and a half tonight isn't the play. Uh, seven, if you want to be safe, it wouldn't surprise me at all if this is some sort of a three-to-three three game late. Maybe it tightens up a little bit. Mike Smith is better in game twos in his career. If you look at the Calgary series, uh, you know, he turned it around a little bit. Granted, Edmonton still won that game five-to-three. So the over, to me, is still a strong play tonight, Holden. Yeah, I I'm there with you. You know these two teams, these two coaches are coming out though, saying let's try and play some defense tonight, right? Is that what it is, or is secretly Bednar just being like, eh, we could score eight goals every night? I feel like he wants to tighten it up. Yeah, you could say as a coach all day, I want to tighten this thing up. <laughs> that works great before the game. That works great in the first two minutes of the game, and then you realize, oh crap, our defenses are kind of average. Like only only defensive player out there who I'm like, yeah, that guy can make a game-changing defensive play is Kale McCarr. And he's not the biggest dude. Uh, so if Kale McCarr is the best, like, game-changing defenseman in this series, 
I think game plans are great, but this thing's going to open up. It's Francois versus Mike Smith. It's going to open up eventually. Uh, now, I look at game two of the Oilers Flame series, how Edmonton turned that around. I think they were down three to one in that game, came back and won. Uh, but then you also look at the game twos that the Avs have had already in this playoffs. They blow out Nashville game one, then it's a two to one overtime. They outshoot the Blues over double, like 54 to 25, only win two to one in overtime in that game one. But then they lose game two at home four to one to the Blues. So so the Avs are kind of flip flop, flip flop in games one and two on their home ice. Uh, so I actually kind of like Edmonton plus one and a half tonight at about Ooh. minus 160. Uh, a long shot overtime at plus 410 is not a bad bet. That's a high line. So I, not- I bet that. I what? bet. I'm not even kidding you. I bet that. Yeah. I bet the abs to win an overtime at plus 600. Okay. I had a free bet. Okay. And hey, that's what they've done. Uh, that's what they did in game two against Nashville. Uh, I mean, I just think something changes tonight is my point. And I don't think it's the goals. I think Edmonton does keep this tighter. I like Pavel Francouz. I really do. I think he's an underrated backup goaltender. But this is a tough spot. I don't know if he could come out here tonight and, and save this game for the Avs. I think he could keep it close a la overtime. A la one goal, hold your breath, win. That's why I also mentioned Oilers plus one and a half. Just keep this thing close tonight. But I don't I don't see Darcy carrying this team to uh, a two-plus goal win. I really don't tonight, Holden. Hmm. So do you like the over seven at minus 135 or the over seven and a half at plus 112? What do you prefer? I mean, I'd feel safer at, at just the seven. Obviously. Well, yeah, because for some reason, my gut is saying 3-3 overtime. At the same time, this could be much higher than that, though. Uh, So, you know, to me, overtime is a long shot bet. I really do like the Edmonton plus one and a half, though. That would be my play if I was to go puck line on this game. Uh, I think Edmonton actually has an outside shot of winning this game, even though I did pick abs and five off your show. Um whatever like that's not super important to me uh i just have you know i didn't see darcy getting hurt uh here we are uh, other props that i like holden are uh evander kane over three and a half shots on goal tonight at minus 118 it's interesting because he has a better shot on goal line than leon dreisaitl he's slightly more favored to go over i think uh you know some people look at evander kane and they think oh it's that old evander kane who is a head case, and he, you know, probably still is, uh, but he's kept it under wraps, at least, in his stint with Edmonton, and he's playing the best hockey of his career. I mean, he has 13 goals in 13 playoff games. Only four players in NHL history have ever done that. He scored the opener uh, in game one. I think Evander Kane is kind of that overlooked, like, oh, we got to focus on McKinnon when he's on the ice. we got to focus on Dreisaitl. I think that might be why Kane is at minus 118 to go over his three and a half. So I do like that tonight. And I was also on Nathan McKinnon over four and a half in the last game. Again? Missed by one. Uh, He only had four. I'm going to go back on that train tonight, though. I mean, there's no way that that doesn't hit twice. Uh, So I think that's coming in at about minus 135, minus 130, somewhere in there. So uh, over Nathan McKinnon, four and a half shots on goal tonight. All right. So you like Kane over three and a half. McKinnon over four and a half. I'm not telling you on the puck line at minus 160 for Edmonton, but I do like the over. And I was leaning toward the under. And I'm saying to myself, you know what? Franco's given up at least three goals. I mean, that's just who he is. He's just going to give up three goals. It's going to happen. Um, this game's not going to be as crazy as the last one, but I, I'm with you on the over. I think that'll be a show bet. The question is, is it over seven at minus 135 or the plus money at seven and a half? And I think if you're, I, I think you could sprinkle a little half and half there, a little half and half. So maybe half a unit on uh, 135, half a unit on plus 112. They both hit you great. If you don't, you only lose a little bit of money. So I'm with that. Um, and as far as the player props go, I mean, I guess I'll tell you on those two. So we're both on the over. And I, I'm a, a little hesitant 
Because again, it's like game one has that many points, but then you saw what happened. We talked about that Calgary Edmonton game, right? Yeah, we did. After it happened, it was a nine, six game. Next game, they come back, they score eight goals. It's five, three. And then I think when you look at these two teams, they're combined averaging over nine goals a game. Huh? Are, are you kidding me? That's come on. Wait, I, I'm with you on this one. We got to go for it over. Yeah, of the five games in that Flames-Oilers series, only one went under uh, what would have been a seven. It was like game three, a four-to-one home win for the Oilers. Everything else was at least seven goals in that series. And and this is a game tonight where even if Mike Smith and Pavel Frenzos come out hot, all it takes is one four-minute stretch, Holden. It's literally all it takes. Uh, I don't trust these guys for a full 60. I really don't. So at the very least, I think, both teams get uh, three goals tonight. That gets your seven. The question is, do we finish there? And we're going 3-3 overtime. Yeah. Tough to say. Uh, I doubt it, but I think it's worth a sprinkle, maybe a plus 4-10 overtime. Uh, that's why the over seven and a half also, I do like that play as well. Are the Avs screwed if Kemper doesn't come back? Well. I'm, I'm not just talking this series, like the next series too. Yeah. And even if he comes back, they might have trouble, but. This series without Kemper, are they okay? Going forward, even with Kemper, are they okay? I mean, before last night, I would have said, no, probably not. But then Vasilevsky allows six goals. Six. Uh, Shosturkin was better last night. He only allows two. But, you know, he had some games. You know, let's go back to that Pittsburgh series where – he didn't look so great. He was allowing some goals. And, you know, this is his first season being like a true stud. He's only like 26 or so years old. Uh, this is his first breakout. Here I am. I'm I'm part of the big boy club season. Uh, so it's going to be a big time moment for him if the Rangers do make it to the Stanley Cup Finals. So my point is, you know, I, I don't think both those teams, even though they look tough defensively and goaltending wise, I think they are beatable offensively. But you do worry about the optics of a Francois versus Vasilevsky or Shesterkin matchup. No doubt about it, but, you know, uh, I mean, everybody was betting Tampa last night. That's what the odds said. Uh, they were road favorites, game one at MSG, and then the Rangers blow them out. So They didn't Frank play for like two weeks. That's what I think a lot of that happened. And then Shesterkin, who wants to mess with that guy? My God, he's on fire too, both those guys. It'd be nice if one of the two guys here in Colorado would get back to playing some some good goaltending. Is that even a way to – I hope they play some good goaltending. How about that they're just better in net? Because they have even, – even Darcy in the first round was, was a bit shaky. Yeah, I mean, obviously Darcy has that better prototype, you know, the size you want. Francois is only like six feet tall. Um, but my point is, you know, is if it is Francois or even Kemper in the finals – a lot of people are going to be like, man, especially if this Oilers uh, Av series continues to be uh, just a goal-scoring affair, which it very well might be. You know, a lot of people are going to just be like, how can I trust Kemper? How can I trust Francois? I got to trust Vasilevsky. I got to trust Shesterkin. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, you know, maybe more public money goes in on the Lightning or the or the Rangers, and and people fade the Avs. I, that's a situation I wouldn't hate to be in, uh, but it's a leap of faith, right? Because Man, how do I trust Kemper? How do I trust Francois? Uh, I know I, I I thought Tampa was going to win last night. I really did. Uh, so you know I didn't take the leap of faith with the home Rangers. I I, I I I bought into the Lightning. This team just sweeps the sweeps the Panthers, and they're looking so good. They're just destined to go for that three P. And certainly maybe things change in that series, but uh, I I think anything's possible in these playoffs as we're learning. So just because Francois. Uh, or Kemper is a net, doesn't count the abs out. It just means, Holden, take the over. I think that's a one thing we're really learning in these playoffs. Uh, unless you're the Carolina Hurricanes, take the over. Yeah, we don't got to worry about them anymore either, do exactly. we? So that'll be fine. All right, buddy, you'll be back on the air tonight. We can hear you. Yep, I'll be doing the post-game show between the pipes, Altitude Sports Radio 92.5. Okay, glad you're not dead. Thanks for hopping on, pal. Thanks, man. We'll finish up the Front Range 4 here in just a moment. We'll take a quick break. I'm going to talk about a couple of Broncos that are in the mix for the Offensive Player of the Year, plus get into the NBA Finals. This is the Denver CityCast, presented by Bet Rivers. Baseball is here, and Bet Rivers has a special offer for you every Saturday throughout the season. 
Place a three-leg same-game parlay of at least $25, and you will earn a $10 free bet. With same-game parlays, you can combine player props and game bets to make your perfect combo. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Claim your offer on the BetRivers app or go to BetRivers.com. Must be 21. Must be located in Colorado. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Okay, welcome back to the Denver City Cast, presented by Bet Rivers. The Front Range Four will continue. Number one was obviously the Colorado Avalanche. Number two, I want to talk some Broncos today. Okay, the the uh, Bet Rivers has dropped the 2022 Offensive Player of the Year awards. It's awesome. I, I I love it. Now, when we're talking about Offensive Player of the Year in the NFL, um, you really have to look at the guys, the positions that end up winning. And I think quarterbacks are not the layup that they used to be. They've only won the award two times in the last six years. So it's not like the MVP where you say, okay, in all likelihood, we're going to have to give it to a quarterback. Sometimes the quarterbacks don't win it, but more often than not, the offensive player of the year award is not going to go to a quarterback. So they've only won the award twice in the last six years. Wide receivers have won the award in two of the last three years. A Broncos player has won the award on three separate occasions. Two times it was Terrell Davis. Interesting, John Elway never won this. Terrell Davis won it back in 96 and 98. And then many of you remember Peyton Manning won it back in 2013. So that's the first thing you look at when we're talking about the awards for the offensive player of the year. Now, last year it was Cooper Cup, and we know what Cooper Cup did. He just went bananas and set records receiving, and he was by far and away the most impressive offensive. You know, I don't want to say by far and away. He was the most impressive offensive player because I think Jonathan Taylor was right there with him. Very, very close. But ultimately, Cup ended up winning the award. So let's go look at the odds offensive player of the year. Jonathan Taylor plus 800, Cooper Cup plus 800. Derrick Henry plus 900, Devontae Adams and Debo Samuel 14 to 1. Okay, those are the favorites. Now, you've also got to look at the Broncos and say, is there a player dynamic enough to win this award? And what is it going to take? So the two guys I'd look, I'm not going to look at a wide receiver because I still can't tell whether it's going to be Sutton or Judy or whoever the hell is going to lead this league in, or, or this team in receiving. But who could logically win it from the Broncos? Russell Wilson and Javante fit the bill. Okay? So Russell Wilson, I'm not saying I'm betting this. I'll let you know if I am in a minute. But Russell Wilson is 40-1 to 1 to be the offensive player of the year. And there's going to be a couple things keeping me off of this bet. I don't see Wilson putting up monster numbers that Allen is going to have, that Mahomes is going to have, that Justin Herbert is going to have. I have all three throwing for more passing yards, and I believe Allen's going to have more rushing yards as well. I mean, Allen just went nuts last year. What do you have, over 5,000 yards of combined offense? Wilson's never thrown for more than 4,200 yards. And even if they let him cook this year, I'm not so sure he gets over 4,500. He's definitely not running for 500 yards. And this team has a great running game and a great defense. So at 40 to 1, is the price nice? Yeah. I love Wilson in the new system. But unless he leads the Broncos to the best record in the AFC or maybe in the NFL, I just don't be, see him being in the mix. You know, and he's a quarterback. You got to have a transcendent season to beat the other skill position players. I just think there's quarterbacks ahead of him if we're going quarterback here. Uh, the second guy who we're talking about, right? Javante. Javante Williams, 60 to 1, plus 6,000. So how does this bet pay off? How does it pay off? Hmm. If we're betting on Javante, we're betting that he's going to be a bell cow because of an injury to Melvin Gordon. And then he'd have to be much more productive than Jonathan Taylor and Derrick Henry, despite having way less touches. Okay. So Taylor finished second in the offensive player of the year award voting last year. 
He had 332 rush attempts and another 40 receptions. That's 372 touches. Let's just say he gets back to that number, right? Let's just say he gets to about 370 touches. No way Javante's getting to 370. I, I don't even think with Melvin Gordon's sideline, okay, maybe he gets to about 350. But if I have him for 18 touches a game over 17 games season, that's still putting you right around 300 touches. I, I, I think he's going to be a minimum, even without Melvin Gordon, 40 touches less. And if we're talking about, I don't know, five yards per touch, because we're talking about receptions in there too, which is probably light. I mean, we're talking about a couple of hundred yards difference between um, rushing, receiving for Javante and Jonathan Taylor. Okay. So Javante would have to be more productive with less touches. And that's just Taylor. That doesn't include Derrick Henry or even if Christian McCaffrey comes back. Okay. So for me and the Broncos, there's just too many obstacles to bet Javante. Wilson could be that guy. He's just not asked to do as much to be that guy. So I'll pass on these two guys. But remember, I do have a bet on Patrick Sertan Jr. to win Defensive Player of the Year at 100-1. to So who am I betting on the Offensive Player of the Year? Okay, there's a few guys that are in the mix for me. I think Josh Allen's got to be in the mix. I think Justin Jefferson has to be in the mix. Jamar Chase, Cooper Cup, and Jonathan Taylor. These are the. This is the pool that I will draw from. Are there dark horses? Yeah, I mean, I'm seeing a lot of, of uh, Carr. You know, he's got Devontae there. He could put up the monster numbers again. I think if we're just looking at raw numbers, uh, Carr is not going to put up the numbers that Josh Allen's going to put up. Maybe even Patrick Mahomes. We'll see there. But Cup just won the award. No explanation necessary. Plus 800. Wouldn't have a problem if you want to bet that. I'm not going to do that. Jonathan Taylor, we just talked about. The co-favorite, plus 800. He led the league in attempts last year with 332. That's just rushing attempts, not receiving, because he had 40 receptions for 360 yards. Okay? 1,811 rushing yards. 18 rushing touchdowns. Two more scores from receiving, so 20 total touchdowns. From week four on, he had 100 yards in 10 of 14 games. And 19 total touchdowns from weeks four through 15. I mean, it is tough to beat. It's tough to beat that. It's tough to bet a running back coming off a 370-touch season, too, though, given the high injury rate of the position. The one guy that kind of bucked the trend was Derrick Henry, but it caught up to him last year. And we saw it catch up with CMC for the last two years. That's Christian McCaffrey. So, okay, Taylor's in the mix. Not putting a bet on Cup or Taylor right now. What about Josh Allen? I told you about quarterbacks, but if there is a quarterback to win this year, they got to have monster seasons. They got to have just uh, the best, uh, one of the best seasons you're ever going to see. Allen has the hype. He's got the numbers, almost 5,200 passing plus rushing yards last year. And I wouldn't be shocked to see that number go up. It doesn't hurt that he could be on the team that has the best regular season record. So I think Josh Allen has got to be in the mix at 20 to 1 plus 2,000. The next guy I like, Justin Jefferson. He's at 25 to 1. So you've got Cooper Cup, Devontae Adams, Debo Samuel. These three guys are ahead of Justin Jefferson. By the way, I don't see Debo Samuel running quite as much this year as he did last year, given that he didn't like doing it. And he's come out and publicly said that. I'm, I'm going to take Debo off the board here right now until I see something different. But Justin Jefferson, love this kid, 25 to 1. If you're looking for a huge season from a wide receiver, Jefferson fits the bill. He's expected to be used in the Vikings offense, just like Cooper Cup was used in the Rabs offense last year. You know, the Rams ran him all around, set him up everywhere. I think that Jefferson is probably even a little bit more athletic. He's not going to have quite as good a quarterback as Matt Stafford, but I guess you've got a quasi-competent quarterback in Kirk Cousins, okay? Jefferson's getting massive volume. He's one of the most explosive playmakers in the NFL. He had 1,400 yards and seven touchdowns as a rookie. He had 200 more yards and three more touchdowns last year. The Vikings defense is brutal. There's going to be a, a, quite a few games where I could see Jefferson having to rack up numbers from coming from behind. So this guy has got the pedigree. 
okay? He had 20 more catches, 216 more yards, three more touchdowns. And of the 29 players who had 115 targets last season, this is important. Check this out. He had the ninth highest passer rating when targeted. Okay, Cup was number one at 129.7. But Kirk Cousins knows where the bread is buttered. It is, it is Jefferson. It's Justin Jefferson. I love this kid. I expect him to lead the league in receiving yards. I'm not kidding. And I think that's another bet for another time, but I'll throw Jefferson in the mix here. Last guy I want to talk to talk about was Jefferson's college teammate, Jamar Chase at 30 to one with the Bengals. Another young explosive wide receiver. He's in a pass heavy offense, borderline elite quarterback. 88 catches, 1,455 yards, and 13 touchdowns as his rookie, uh, in his rookie season. He won Offensive Rookie of the Year. So, I mean, he was putting up Justin Jefferson numbers last year. Maybe in a little bit better. Uh, does he continue that growth? Yeah, I think so. I think so. So, he's in a similar boat. I'm a little bit higher on Jefferson, though. Chase could get to the 100 receptions mark, maybe 1,700 yards and 15 touchdowns as a ceiling. That would win him Offensive Player of the Year in most seasons. I think he has a very similar skill set to Jefferson. I think Chase could outperform Jefferson, but I'm not sold that happens. There's more competition for targets there. Again, 88 catches. He's getting the, the, the targets, but T. Higgins is there. Tyler Boyd is there. Joe Mixon is there. These guys played deep into last season. Here's my bets. Josh Allen at 20 to 1 plus 2000 on Bet Rivers. Justin Jefferson 25 to 1 plus 2500 and I'll sprinkle a little bit on Jamar Chase at 30 to 1. Could there be a running back that prop that pops up here? Yeah. Yeah. I I am I'm, I'm going to add a running back at some point in time. Because for me, why not take four or five guys? If our if our guy Josh Allen who is my favorite at this point, him and Jefferson, if he's at 20 to one, let's take four guys out. Let's take four of them. So there'll be a running back in the mix. But again, my two plays, offensive rookie of the year, Josh Allen, plus 2,000, Justin Jefferson, plus 2,500. We're not going to mess with any of the Broncos here. Number three on the front range four, the four biggest sports stories on the front range. Before we get into the Rockies and the Braves lines, by the way, those two teams are playing tonight. So the Braves in town for a little weekend series. Before we do that, my God, it was absolutely bananas at Coors Field yesterday for that doubleheader. So here's what we had. Game one, a 14-1 blowout. We had another game with 25 combined runs. Brendan Rodgers hit a walk-off home run. We had 53 hits at Coors Field yesterday between the two teams across both games. Oh, and Connor Joe has reached base in 28 in a row, and he has a hit in 21 of the 28. Now, tonight's game. Righty Ian Anderson, who's been mediocre, I think, this year. I thought the Braves would expect a bigger jump out of him. He hasn't been great. Lefty Austin Gomer is on the mound for the Rocks. Uh, remember, the Rockies' bullpen is going to be completely gassed after yesterday's marathons. The Braves have a league best 29 and 18 record to the over. The Rockies 28 and 21 to the over. Fourth best. Both these teams love going to the over. Now, this year the Atlanta offense has not been as potent as they have been in the past, but they still have a terrific lineup. And I do expect Ronald Acuña Jr. to play tonight. So the play here as we look at the lines, Braves minus 157 money line, Rockies plus 133. A little lean toward the Rockies' money line. But the total is 11.5. Minus 112 to the other, to the over. Minus 107 to the under. Give me the over in the Braves and the Rockies tonight. I'm not going to overthink this. I get it. It's a little chalky. Yesterday was a blast for me, though. I mean, I just kept betting the over. Over, over, over. It's crazy because these last two nights, I did it in the Avalanche game. Kept betting the over. It went over. Kept betting the Rockies' Yesterday against the Marlins, over, over, over. Let's hope the trend continues tonight. Everything just adds up. It's going to be warm, too. You know, we'll be, eh, I mean, maybe it'll be in the 60s at game time. It, it's Everything is pointing toward an over tonight. I'm going to do that. Now, there's one, I already placed the bet, actually. The other bet, and I can't find any type of prop at any book for Braves catcher William Contreras. 
But if they set a line on him, if they give you total bases or hits, I would really want total bases. I would go over one and a half uh, if they put it at like minus 130 or less. You want to give me over two? I would not be shocked. I mean, at that point, I'd probably just take a home run. But William Contreras has been red hot, the catcher. 1248 OPS against lefties this season. 1357 OPS on the road. And now he gets to go to Coors. If you can find a William Contreras uh, prop, total bases over one and a half, or even a home run, I'd sprinkle a little on that. I'm going to if I can find it. But that's the Rockies uh, segment of this. That was numero trace, number three, in the front range four, the four biggest stories in sports on the front range. Number four, going to talk with Jonathan Van Tobel from VEASAN next. But let me just look at the series prices, tell you about those. In the NBA Finals, Boston plus 135, Warriors minus 159 to win this series. The lines tonight for game number one, Celtics plus three and a half, minus 109. Warriors minus three and a half, minus 112. That's the lines on Bet Rivers. Seas plus 138 in the money line, Warriors minus 165. And the total here. It's creeping up a little bit. It was at 212, then 212 and a half, and now at 213. Let's dive into the NBA Finals market with Jonathan Von Tobel from VEASAN next on the Denver CityCast, presented by Bet Rivers. Bet Rivers is offering new customers a deposit match up to $250 when you sign up today. In addition to their welcome bonus, Bet Rivers has daily and ongoing promotions that can provide extra value. Download the Bet Rivers app or go to betrivers.com to sign up. Must be 21. Must be located in Colorado. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 522 4700. As promised, Jonathan Van Tobel, and he is with VSIN. And JVT, first of all, wonderful to have you on. Second of all, I've been tailing you on all of these uh, playoff games. You've done a tremendous job here. There's only two guys I tail in the NBA. You're one of those two. Congratulations on that. How's it going there? And how are you feeling about the Celtics here? Uh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. You know, I was, we've gotten a lot of uh, I've gotten a lot of good feedback on the article that we've done every single day since the start of the regular season. So it has been quite the grind, and it's always nice. Uh, to feel that people are using the information well. So uh, it's been going well and uh, feel good about Boston. Yeah, I, I, I like this team. Um, this is, you know, got a futures ticket on them. They have performed I, as well as you could expect. There are some instances where you kind of scratch your head, you know, up 3-2 over Miami. You should, probably should close that game out at home. They don't need to go to a game seven. Some of the clutch time minutes are, are a little, uh, you know, shaky at times, but still one of the best defensive teams that we've seen in a while. And uh, they look every bit of a finals champion, potentially, if they can pull this off. So I feel good about Boston's chances here. Yeah, people who have been listening to this show know I had a, I think, 11-1 ticket on the Boston Celtics to win the East. And that was because of Unto. That was it. Went out there, researched it myself. I'm not a blind tailor. Mm. But uh, I said to myself, this is a great bet. Because they looked awful in the first half of yep. the season, right? Right around February, I think, is when the article may have come out. When you started seeing them turn a corner, right? Yeah, I think it was yeah uh, early February, late January, one of the, around there when I wrote about them in terms of winning the conference finals. Um, they were 18-21, kind of what you're alluding to. And it's funny, so you talk about like grinding through the regular season. I, I was on them in the game, right? Everybody keeps referring back to a loss to the New York Knicks in which they led by, I think, 18 points, if I remember correctly. Uh, they blew it in regulation, lost on a buzzer beater to R.J. Barrett. And I had them in that game. And uh, I remember watching them blow that, sitting in my living room going, like, this is incredible. Like, they're going to have, they're going to be three games under 500 they look awful but Ime Udoka makes his changes Robert Williams move moves off ball as opposed to on ball defending uh, opposing fives it makes the biggest difference in the world and they turned it around so yeah there, there was that part where they started to turn things around wrote about him there uh, I've got him to win the finals as opposed to, to the actual conference uh, at a really good price so hopefully they can get this done I'm, I haven't decided what I'm going to do with it yet I, I have a lot of confidence that they're going to win this series so I don't think I'm going to buy much off of it if any but we'll see how it goes okay well, first of all, I asked you if there was any COVID issues here. And surprisingly, there is a COVID issue. Uh, yeah, that's what you're telling me. Jeff Van Gundy's not going to call. I, I got to double check. I think, I don't know if it's the entire finals or just game one. I'll tell you in one second. But uh, yes, he we looked have a, like 
he sounded like he was dead in game seven. So I wonder how many people he passed it on to. So it, well, and here's the thing for people who don't remember. Mike Breen did not call game seven because he had COVID. And then we listened to the broadcast. Jeff Van Gundy sounds like death doing this entire thing. And now all of a sudden, now he's positive for it. I mean, it's clearly going around in that area. Uh, as somebody who has dealt with this, currently dealing with it, I will say that uh, my first day before I tested positive, my voice completely disappeared. It, I, I sounded much worse uh, than Jeff Van Gundy did. And so I kind of had a feeling, I'm like, hmm, I think this guy might be dealing with it. And sure enough, uh, he's out at least uh, for this game. So we'll see what happens. But yeah, uh, we have a COVID issue already. Hopefully it doesn't affect the uh, the important pieces, though, which would be the coaches and the players. Yeah, I hope not. And listen, if I'm going to get it for a third time, just wait till the summer's over. Just, uh, you know what? Give me late August is what I'll do. Before <laughs> oh, yeah. NFL, let, let me get my vacation out of here. You can do it before the NFL and I'll be fine. But I want to know why uh, game one, you're looking toward the Celtics here. Talk to me, JVT. So there, there's a couple of factors. So so first off, we should get out of the way that, yes, the Warriors are the best home team in the postseason. They, they come into this game in San Francisco. They're 9-0 straight up. They're 7-2 and against the spread. In non-garbage time minutes, they have outscored their opponents by 16.6 points per 100 possessions. They've been incredible uh, back, at, back at the Bay. However, there's a couple of things. One, uh, this is also a meeting. Might be the best home team in the postseason. This is the best road team in the NBA, not just in the postseason. In, in the playoffs, Boston, 7-2 and straight up, 7-1-1 against the spread or 8-1 and against the spread, depending on your closing number for one of those games, uh, with a league best plus 7.9 net rating and non-garbage time minutes on the road. If you include the regular season, this is a Celtics team that has covered 66.7% of their road games this year. They have been very good away from home. And, and I also just think, and this plays to the series as well, not just this game, but I think that this is a, a Celtics team that is uniquely equipped to handle what the Warriors want to do on offense. The Warriors are incredible. They, they don't run traditional high pick and rolls, you know, 1-5, all that kind of stuff. They run a lot of stuff in a single possession. It'll be dribble handoff. It'll be off-ball action. It'll be screens and cuts and everything that the Celtics have to deal with. But the thing that the Celtics is... They'll switch mostly everything. They can downsize if they want. They can play Al Horford at the five and have Grant Williams at the four and switch one through four, one through five. They'll feel comfortable. They won't be in many positions to be caught off guard there. There's not going to be many matchups where they don't want to switch because they have confidence in almost every single one of their guys from a defensive standpoint. So I just think Boston matches up really well. They have handled this already in terms of playing on the road. I don't buy in. There's a lot of people who think it's a poor situation for Boston because I, I guess they played in a game seven, but that was on Sunday. It's Thursday. The Warriors have been off for a week as well. And got to say, uh, we just watched last night, the Tampa Bay Lightning looked like a team that had about, what, nine days off or something like that. Uh, they, they think there's something to be said of missing a lot of time and getting right back into postseason action. So I think this uh, the Celtics team's in a pretty good spot here in game one and in the series. Yeah, they've both been sitting, right? Yep. I mean, yep. one a little bit longer than the other, but still, they've both been sitting. Um, getting into the series itself, like you're just taking Boston in the series. You've got the futures ticket on them already. How, what's the path there? How many games? What's the path for Boston winning this thing? So I, I think it, for, in, for the article up at vcin.com, I used Boston in six. It's a, to me, that's a, to say a team wins in six is a fair example of, I think they're clearly better uh, than Golden State, but Golden State's not going to be any pushover in any sense. But I will say this. So I did bet them uh, at nine to one to win the series in five. I thought that was worth a, very, a really small play. It's not anything crazy. Um, but when you look at the way, not only that Boston can defend, which we kind of rolled through, and they have experience doing it. If you look at some of the numbers for them uh, in the postseason on uh, plays that go through an off-ball screen, the Celtics only give it up 0.85 points per possession. On plays that go through a dribble handoff, the Celtics giving up 0.8 points per possession. The Miami Heat run a lot of handoff actions uh, in their own offense, and they defended it. Boston did extremely well. So they're going to come into this at least with a little bit in terms of getting used to that sort of thing. This is also a Celtics team that I don't know how much weight you put into it, but there is something to the fact that this is the lone franchise in the Steve Kerr era that has a winning record against the Golden State Warriors. They are just built, I think, to handle Golden State. When you have a roster that is littered with 6'4", 6'6", wings and guards who can switch and be able-bodied defenders in multiple matchups, that's really going to help you out. And I think that helps them in this series. I mean, look at it just from a size standpoint. Your starting, your starting five is Marcus Smart at 6'4", Jalen Brown at 6'6", Jason Tatum at 6'8", and then a 6'9", front court, and Al Horford and Robert Williams. The Warriors are very undersized in this matchup here against Boston. So that plays into their favor, too. And the way they're going to play offensively, look, the Warriors aren't going to want to switch at all in this series defensively. Uh, and when you look at it, 
The Celtics are going to force them here. They're going to go after Steph Curry. They're going to go after Jordan Poole. They're going to go after the weak links there because they're a matchup hunting offense. And I think that's going to play in their favor too. So I think there's, like I said, my official selection for the article was Celtics in six. But I think it's a very plausible outcome that they win this series in five, given the advantages that they have too. And I thought that was worth a play. Yeah, that's absolutely fascinating. You bring that up there. Um, I'm just looking back at the playoffs and the, the amount of blowouts, right? We have yeah. blowouts left and right, left and right. Is it just impossible to predict these now going into the finals? Is it just we put all that stuff in the past or could we see this trend continue? I think you, you potentially could. And the reason why these playoffs, because there, there's the reason why there's blowouts, I thought there were two factors. Uh, one is the obvious one, which is three-point shooting. And when you have mm -hmm. teams who are shooting as much as they are nowadays, uh, if you have a off-shooting night as one of the opponents, then you know the outcome, it's going to be a pretty wide variance of outcomes, and some of those are going to get pretty lopsided. And in today's NBA, you know, it's funny, we see a 15-point final and think that's a blowout or not close. In today's NBA, that could have been a pretty close game throughout, and then 15 points is ultimately your final outcome there. So I think that's part of it. And you could probably still see that in a couple of these games, where it's a wide outcome uh, in terms of whoever wins because of a three-point shooting. If one team has an off night, the other team has a good night. But I also think it might come back down to earth here a little bit because the other factor I thought that played into those blowouts was the schedule. I mean, these were, these were really tight playoffs in that these teams were playing every other day for a really long time. The longest break we had, I think, was was it the first round where Celtics and Nets had like a three-day break? And then mm -hmm. in the second round, there was one, two, or it was like a two-day break or something yes. like that. But for the most part, these guys have been playing every other day. And so when you're in the midst of a best of seven, right, and you're down by like 13 points in the last few minutes of a fourth quarter, you're not going to care. You got another game to get ready for in 48 hours, so you're probably going to let off the gas, and those lot you know, those those gaps are going to widen a little bit. So I think it helps that these games are really spaced out. So you might see that come back down to earth a little bit, but the three point shooting is also a very big factor. Let's talk about the MVP market here. I mean, to me, it usually comes down to what two players. I mean, you, whoever's going to do the best on one side and the other side's a little simple, but. We got a little movement here. Steph Curry was minus 110 at Bet Rivers now, minus 125 to yep. win the MVP. You got Tatum at, at uh, what is it, minus 115 or so. So how do you bet the NBA Finals MVP? Because I'm just a little skittish. I've seen all these other sports, especially like the, the Final Four and everything oh, else. Yeah. You leave it up to these writers in a short amount of time. Like, I've been around a lot of these writers most of them really don't start thinking about this until like toward the end of whatever the clinching game is. And I kid you not, they'll talk about it, but they really don't start breaking it down in their mind till game time. So how do we approach this? Yeah, I think you bring up a great example of the simplicity of voters sometimes. Ochek Baji did not deserve to win most outstanding player in no. that final four. It's ridiculous no. that he won it. Um, so it kind of it gives you pause in looking anywhere than the top options. I will say this. Uh, if you think that Golden State is going to win this series, there are some markets. And I haven't checked for a day, so let's see if he's actually still out there. There's some other spots that have him at about plus 110 to win NBA Finals MVP. I will say this. If the Warriors are winning the NBA Finals, he is winning Finals MVP. I don't think there's any question about it. You know, in years past, we had the first year in which he did not win it because Andre Iguodala, the narrative around the death lineup, all of that stuff, the way yeah. he did, he performed defensively. The other years, Kevin Durant was on that team. Steph Curry, by far is the best player on this Warriors team. And if they're going to win this, he's going to perform at an optimal level, and he's going to win it because there's also the narrative of him not winning finals MVP yet, right? So he's going to win that. So if you're going Golden State, you're going Steph Curry. For Boston, I think the, like, the options are a little bit wider. There's obviously Jason Tatum, there's Jalen Brown, and there's Marcus Smart. And for me, the play, I have Jalen Brown at 13-1 to to win finals MVP. I think that Boston's going to win this series, obviously. So then you go from there... Brown was incredible in the Eastern Conference Finals. And in that Eastern Conference Finals Game 7, they went into that with the options of Brown or Tatum winning that thing. And it was just dependent on who performed better in Game 7. And ultimately, Tatum hits a pretty big shot down the end. It was a mid-range jumper. Makes a little bit of a difference. He wins Eastern Conference Finals MVP. But Jalen Brown in that series averaged 24 points a game, shot about 40% from three. He can do that again in the series like this. And so it's perfectly plausible at 13-1 to if the Celtics win this series that he wins Finals MVP. So for me, that's the play. Smart, he's gotten some attention. Cirque out here in Las Vegas had him at 100 to 1 at one point to win it. A price like that is worth taking a shot on. But in other spots where we're more in the range of like 35 to 1, to me, it's not enough. So the only option really is going to be a Brown at a 13 to 1 price or so. 13 to 1 price. Do you dabble in player props for any of these games? So any I, of the final games? Well, not for the game, but for the series. What do you think about this? So um, there's, a, there's a market out there where you can find Jason Tatum to lead the series in rebounds. 
And I think when you look at Tatum as a rebounder, he doesn't get enough credit for how good he is. He finished in the 94th percentile among uh, players at his position in individual defensive rebounding rate. In the Eastern Conference Finals, he was second in rebounding behind Al Horford. Horford averaged 10. He averaged 8.3. And against, you know, I ran through the matchups, right, the size disadvantage that the Warriors are at. An elite rebounder like Tatum in a series like this, he's going to grab quite a few. So whether you want to approach him on a game-to-game basis and look at him playing over those rebounding totals or take him at about a 950 price uh, to lead the series in rebounding, to me it was an implied probability thing. When you're looking at the probability of him leading this series in rebounding, I think it's much more probabilistic than a 950 price tag would tell you. And especially when you talk about, like I think it's Andrew Wiggins, Draymond Green, and others who are listed in front of him to win, you know, to lead the series in rebounding. I think he's got a better chance than a couple of those guys. So it was a price thing for me. So I played him to lead the series in rebounding at plus 950. So Looney's probably the guy that pops up, right? The Looney be the guy. You got to wonder if Williams is healthy enough. He got some rest. But if he could stay in the mix as well, right? Yeah. So Looney, Williams, and then I think Tatum and Draymond for me would be the four guys. I know you brought up Wiggins, uh, who's actually coming off a terrific series. I don't know about him in the rebounding market, but this is a sharp look here. So, and let me just talk about my philosophy on futures. More often than not, I guess it's sport dependent, but I like to put two or three bets in. You don't want a futures mm-hmm. here when it comes to rebounding. If I can get a pair of eight to ones and one hits, then you know we're still making a nice profit. How do you handle that? Do you just go with the plus 900 or whatever you're getting on Tatum, or do you sprinkle on somebody else? No, I, I've just been like, I'm pretty like singular when it comes to some of these bets. So yeah. I'll just play Tatum there and sit back and wait. And, you know, I was looking at the screen by this way. So the, the order is Kevon Looney, Al Horford, Robert Williams, Draymond Green, then Jason Tatum. And, you know, Horford. It, yeah, too. yeah, Horford. And by the way, too, like when we're talking about this, Robert Williams actually isn't that great of a rebounder. And the other thing is, you know, like I mentioned, their defensive philosophies, it'll change here a little bit against Golden State, but he's more off ball. Like he comes in, crashes, and helps. Great he's point. not a center that's boxing out and grabbing rebounds. That's why Horford is the better rebounder option than a Williams. So I think the, these these odds are a little out of whack. You know, but for me, it'll just be a play on Tatum. You know, and, and, the, and I should stress this too. When you're talking about like plus 950 for Tatum to lead the series of rebounding or the Celtics to win the series in five games, these are small plays. These are like quarter unit plays, nothing really crazy. You're not investing a lot in them because of the price, the payback, and all that stuff. It's just more a play on the probability of saying, you know what? I think the probability should be higher that this event is going to happen. So let me put a little money on this because I think that there's some value in a number like that. You're not, you know, I was getting flack the other day. It was like, oh, Celtics aren't winning this in five. And it's like, well, Well, I'm saying that with my money. I'm saying it's more probabilistic that the market is giving it credit for at this point. Yes, that's a lot of (laughs) – I was just talking to Peterson, uh, Greg Peterson on the baseball side. You're not betting teams. You're betting the number in baseball. There's just just other – yeah, it's it's very nuanced. And for those of you that are just getting into betting, there's a whole world out there. Like you've just scratched the surface if you're betting sides and totals and player props. There's a million other ways to go. Yep. Uh, JVT, so let's just recap best bets here. I like the, what'd you get at a nine and a half to one plus 950 for Tatum to lead yep. the series in rebounding. If you, if you didn't have the futures, what would be the play in the series? And then I know you got to play on tonight's game. Yep. So I think from a, from a series standpoint, to, by my numbers, there's value on Boston just to win this thing outright. Uh, I made this Golden State about minus 130. So with the market sitting at minus 150 and you're talking about a plus price of about plus 130 on Boston, to me, there's value in just the series overall for the Celtics to win it. So from a series price standpoint, I would play that. And for the game tonight, I'm sitting back and I'm waiting. I'm going to bet Boston today, but the market moved to four pretty early this morning. I'm going to get greedy, see if I can get four and a half here, but I'll be on the Ooh. Celtics, whether it's four or see if this, the, you know, the market gets. Because it's clear right now the public side is Golden State. And I'm not necessarily fade the public guy. I'm just sitting back and seeing that there's an overwhelming amount of support for Golden State. Maybe this number gets pushed to that four and a half, and I can grab that before tip off. Love it. Love the stuff. JVT, where do you, where do they find you on Twitter? Where do they find all your stuff? Uh, me, JVT, up on Twitter, vcin.com slash JVT. Been writing up uh, every single one of these games every single day. So you can find those write-ups on the days of the finals every day. And then uh, the podcast, Hardwood Handicappers, wherever you get your podcasts. And then uh, Monday through Friday, 1 o'clock on vcin Pacific time. And then Sundays, it's going to come to an end here soon. But Hardwood Handicappers, the show, 3 p.m. Pacific time. No, then what happens? I mean, then what are you going to handicap? Well, Just baseball? I was going to say, I, look, I like baseball a lot. I've been getting into the grind. You know, I'm a big baseball fan, an Angels fan, so that's not really going well lately. Okay. But, uh, yeah, so after – I got a vacation coming up, so uh, I know John Goulet, our, our head honcho, doesn't like it when I bring that up. Uh, but I'm, I'm very excited to go check out a Padres game with the wife and just hang out in San Diego for a couple of days. So <laughs> When's the vacation? When is it? Oh, dude, I signed up for the day after the NBA Finals. If it goes oh, you're to seven, so smart. Yep, if it Beautiful. goes to seven, yep. 
That's so smart. Well, maybe they'll actually ship me out to Vegas. That'd suck because I wouldn't meet you in person, but that'd be fine. Hey, listen, buddy, you take care of yourself. Good luck in the series. You're a Celtics guy too, aren't you? No, no, I'm a Clippers guy. I'm all LA Okay, yeah, all right, LA guy. Yeah, My so, bad. Uh, I'm My a Clippers bad. guy. I'm an Angels guy. There's been a lot of pain <laughs> yeah. for sure. Not but... a lot of winning going on in your world, is there? Not um, really. I hang to 2002 with the World Series, uh, the Angels. I hang on to it like uh, for dear life because it's all I got. What were you in? In like second grade when that happened? I was 11. So all right. Yeah, so, so you were in sixth grade yeah, probably. Fifth grade, something like all that. Right, we're we're going to wrap up the city cast here. A uh, little college hoops news with David Roddy and then Mike Trout. He's a horrible commissioner. Is he worse than the big four? That's the question. Next on the Denver City Cast, presented by Bet Rivers. Baseball is here, and Bet Rivers has a special offer for you every Saturday throughout the season. Place a three leg same game parlay of at least $25, and you will earn a $10 free bet. With same game parlays, you can combine player props and game bets to make your perfect combo. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Claim your offer on the Bet Rivers app or go to betrivers.com. Must be 21, must be located in Colorado. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 522 4700. Great stuff from JVT there. Love it. Uh, feel free to tail or not tail the picks from Mr. Von Tobel. Got a couple things to get to here before the end of the show. Like I told you, we got some college basketball news. Colorado State fans, ah, what are you going to do? You had to expect David Roddy was going to leave, right? He is not coming back. He is going to forego his senior season at CSU. He's going to keep his name in the NBA draft. I mean, to me, he's looking like a second rounder right now. Let's see if the stock improves. He's undersized, but he's just a bulldog. I think he's going to be a good NBA role player. Um, it uses his leverage very well. Again, undersized, but good with his leverage. Great rebounder. Spectacular vision. And I think as he gets more experience, he'll score some points too. He'll be a big scorer in the NBA. So Mount West Player of the Year, 25 wins this last year. Got him into the tournament. David Roddy, great career. Hang his number in the banners if you want to. I would not be surprised if they did that. He brought this, uh, he brought this program back to relevance. So that's the first thing. The second thing, <laughs> as I've told you all week, there's nothing, there's no story that I have seen in the year 2022 that I find more entertaining, that puts more of a smile on my face. Then this Meg Trout, Tommy Pham, I mean, Jock Peterson story. It's amazing. For those of you that uh, have been in a cave, Jock Peterson, Mike Trout, Manny Machado, Tommy Pham, Eric Hosmer, all these guys, they're at a $10,000 buy-in fantasy league, okay? And Tommy Pham got upset because you had Jock Peterson stashing players that he didn't need. By the way, Jeff Wilson with the 49ers, he actually came out during his press conference and talked about how he thanked Jock Peterson for keeping him on his roster. And this is hilarious. This has now gotten into the NFL locker rooms. So we also learned that Pham lost $10,000 with the buy-in. He quit, so he finished last. He lost another 10K. And then he got suspended three games, so that'll cost him 111 k So the dude's out $131,000 because of fantasy football. What a donkey. And then the, the bombshell, we found out that Mike Trout was the commissioner of this league, to which the commissioner had to be fired. You cannot have a commissioner let things get out of hand to where Tommy Pham was upset. Seven months later, he'd get upset and smack Jock Peterson in the face. All right, that's not on Mike Trout, but Mike Trout should have stepped in here and laid down the law. So Trout did not want to talk about this. You could tell. The problem for him was he was in Yankee Stadium where the Angels are, and there's no pressure cooker like the media you got to deal with in New York. So basically he had to say something about it. So he was, he was asked, are you going to resign from being the commissioner of this fantasy football league? And he goes, am I going to resign? I haven't made that decision. I don't know. But every commissioner I know always gets booed. And you know what? You're right. They, they all get booed. Michael Silver once in a while, but the NBA commissioner, they actually seem to like him. Uh, it's, it's odd. There's like one commissioner that they actually like, and that's him. Mike Trout deserves to be booed. I hope he resigns and he should be fired. Um, 
greatest player in the world, greatest baseball player in the world. Just a, just a foobar when it comes to commissioning, commissionering. So let's make a list of the worst commissioners in sports. Okay. Number one, Roger Goodell. I mean, he's, he's great for his owners. He's not good for us. Number two, Rob Manfred, MLB, just changing the whole game. He goes back and forth. We should change this. We shouldn't change that. Let's use these baseballs here. Let's use new baseballs here. It's, it's he's golf. He's practicing his golf swing during the lockout. It, it's just a mess with Rob Manfred. Number three, Mike Trout. I mean, you talk about a complete oversight of a situation. You know that on a group text, Tommy Pham, Jock Peterson, it's getting salty. Tommy Pham has to, he quits the league. How does Mike Trout not get in here and say, Tommy, let's take a deep breath. It's okay. Here's the rules. Stick around. Finish the season. So then we avoid all of this. There's no slap. Mike Trout doesn't have to address this. Uh, Jock Peterson doesn't have to say the word "jiff" 30 times. And then number four, we'll go with Gary Bettman, who used to be the worst, but it's been a long time. So here's the rankings of the worst commissioners in sports. Roger Goodell, Rob Manfred, Mike Trout, Gary Bettman, one through four. If you got any more you want to add there, hit me up on Twitter at Holden Radio. We got a ton of best bets today. You heard from JVT. Uh, me and Springer are on the over in the Avs game tonight. He also has a couple player props. So looking forward to that. No Darcy Kemper tonight. And then my futures with the Broncos. want to thank uh, Springer and JVT and Stephen Young, our producer. I'll be back tomorrow. Uh, we'll recap this Avs game, talk a little uh, Rockies, and then recap game one of the NBA Finals and look for some bets in game two. I'm Holden. Thanks for checking out the Denver City Cast, presented by Bet Rivers.